This is Rumble with Michael Moore, and I'm Michael Moore. Tomorrow, or today, depending on when you're listening to this, is January 6, 2022. It's the one-year anniversary of former President Donald Trump's attempted coup of the United States of America. Following Trump's overwhelming loss to Joe Biden in the presidential election, the impeached and disgraced president spent weeks goading his loyal followers into taking matters into their own hands. And they listened as hordes of right-wing militants, QAnon disciples, and all kinds of Republicans, many of whom were active or former military. They showed up to try to stop the counting of the electoral votes at the United States Capitol. What followed was a grim day of white terror, an explosion of rage built up by years of their president, urging them to become violent on his behalf. To try and make sense of all of this a year later, I'll be joined by my longtime friend from Flint, Congressman Dan Kildee. Dan spoke to me on that day, January 6th last year, while he was hiding out in the gallery of the United States House of Representatives as the violent mob tried to break through the doors. Dan, just feet away, shielding other members of Congress so that nothing would happen to them. Dan will be my guest here, and we will talk about what this day means, and what we're going to do about it. I want to thank everybody who responded to my Substack column um, about 10 days or so ago about my dad on Christmas Day in 1943 in the South Pacific uh, where he was a Marine. Thank you. I can't believe the response. I read every single one of your comments and every single one of your emails, and I appreciate all the stories you shared about your fathers or grandfathers in World War II. Uh, It was very, very moving. Thank you. Thank you, all of you, for that. I want to remind all of you that you can sign up on the free email list to get my weekly letter. Just go to michaelmoore.com. That's it, michaelmoore.com. A box will pop up. It'll give you options if you want to be a paid member or not, but you you don't have to be because you just mark the box that says free and you'll get everything that I write, and you'll get every one of these podcasts. So before we bring on Congressman Kildee, I just want to acknowledge and thank a couple of our underwriters for today's episode. First of all, I want to thank an underwriter who has already helped us out here at Rumble, and that is Shopify. Shopify is the all-in-one commerce platform. It helps the little guy level the playing field and gives you the chance to start, run, and grow your own business. It's a, we've had this incredible experience with them with the Moore store. And, um, and then they decided they wanted to underwrite some of our episodes and tell you about the service that they provide at very low cost for those of you who want to start your own small business. Shopify helps 1.7 million businesses around the world. So if you're looking to start one or grow the one you have, you got to use Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash rumble. And when, when you do rumble, make that all lowercase, R-U-M-B-L-E, shopify.com slash rumble 
for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. See for yourself just how easy this is. Go to shopify.com slash rumble. And next, I want to thank our other underwriter here for today's episode, truebill.com, truebill.com, for supporting this podcast and helping us save a little money along the way. Truebill is the new app that helps you clearly uh, identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need or want, or simply, like in my case, forgot about. Truebill's app allows you to see all your subscriptions in one place. And then you can keep the ones you want and cancel the ones you don't. And you know those places that force you to have to call them to cancel a subscription? Your Truebill concierge will handle that for you so that you don't have to. This is just how cool it is. On average, people are saving thousands of dollars a year with Truebill. So start canceling your unused subscriptions at truebill.com slash rumble, all lowercase rumble. And you could save thousands of dollars a year. Truebill.com slash rumble. So it's time to bring on my longtime and dear friend, Representative Dan Kildee. Um, He's our congressional representative for our shared home of Flint, Michigan. And it was on that fateful day, January 6th last year, where he called me trapped inside the house chambers. We were lucky to have him talk to us live. Then uh, we talked again the next day. That was our, uh, our rumble of that week, so to speak, ironically. Mm. And I thought it'd be a good idea today uh, to follow up with him, to see how he's doing, reflect on this dark chapter of our country and to see what comes next. What can we do about this? Let me, uh, let me just, let me start off by saying, First of all, thank you again uh, for coming on. Thank you yeah. for your friendship. Thank you for representing our hometown of Flint uh, so well. But I've been getting a lot of letters, a lot of emails, a lot of, uh, man, any way people can reach me. And I have to tell you, Dan, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know. But the number one, number one thing that people write to me about, because they are so distraught, over what is happening in our country and that a year ago here we're recording this just hours before the anniversary of the attack on the United States Capitol I'm going to just jump right into this uh, it's the elephant that's in the room yeah. it's it's what millions and millions of people are feeling uh, there was a poll this week and they asked people about what do you think the possibility is for more violence, more insurgencies, more. And two-thirds of both Democrats and Republicans said they expect that um, our politics is going to be determined by violence. Yeah. And so let's just, let's just put it right out on the table right off the get-go here. Yeah. The fear, the belief that we are heading towards some form of a civil war and, and that in our case, the other side is the well-armed side and has shown that they will participate in, in brutal violence. And in the case of the Capitol Hill police, some 140 plus uh, police 
injured by the side that has always called themselves law and order. Yeah. And yet they were out to kill, to maim. And in the case of their own Republican vice president, hang, lynch him on the Capitol grounds. It's it. None of this has left our brains and we are in this state of utter fear and terror. And I try my best to say, no, 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 it's not going to happen. Uh, you know, there's more of us than there are of them. They'll realize that, that this is this is all going to be okay. And um, and here we are, a year to our uh, the president, who they believe is not the president. They believe still there's still the big lie that he lost. Dan, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this? Because now I'm I just have to acknowledge. I think it's a legitimate fear yeah. that people have, and it's it's widespread, Dan. It it's widespread. Yeah. So here you are, a person who would have been the first to die right. on that day a year ago because you were trapped in there with I don't know what there were there in the in the gallery, uh, a dozen of you, maybe a few more, yeah. um, trapped, and they're trying to get in the door, and they're banging and banging. Yeah. And and we're going to look back and see that actually this wasn't the worst. This was just just the beginning. This was just for them, for the for the QAnons and everybody. This was their Lexington, Lexington in the Senate chambers, Concord in in the House. Yeah. And and that you know Lexington and Concord were they were the they were the first, but there weren't that many people that died. That. What's going to happen this year, this election, next year, 2024? Dan, we were just talking about John Lennon before going on. That song of his, uh, All I Want is Some Truth. Yeah. Give me some truth. Dan, give us some truth. The real, the real thing, the real, the thing that we don't want to say out loud. So the truth is that what happened on January 6th was not just something that happened on January 6th. It's, you know, this was not an isolated incident. I know that. I know that because of the messages I get, the threats I get, the fact that what January 6th opened was a period of violence, of the threat of violence in order to achieve power. And the sad reality is that there is one party, one political party in this country uh, that is playing with fire. And that's, that's the, 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 I think, the challenge to us all and is to not accept this bullshit of equivalency. And I just saw, unfortunately, I saw one of my colleagues that I've given some credit to, a guy named Peter Meyer, a Republican Oh yeah, the West Grand Rapids, and and he, you know he voted for the impeachment, and he did the, you know he did the right thing a few times, but I saw an interview with him just a couple of days ago, where he's trying to now create this false equivalency that there are extreme voices on both sides of the political spectrum, and we all need to kind of find our way back, and that is just such a disservice to to truth 
Because the truth is, there is there is an element in our society that is embracing violence as a political tool. We've seen this happen in societies over history and currently all across the planet. We are not exempt from that reality. And we have to acknowledge that in order to deal with it. And I think the, the big the biggest, I think, message right now is for people to hear that this can this can all fall apart and violence will occur again if somehow we don't see it for what it is. And that is, you know, a, a real threat to everything we believe in. I, one, one of the things that has been hardest for me to deal with in the wake of January 6th is that I thought that that moment would would break the fever. I mean, how naive could I have been? I thought that that moment would be enough to break the fever and that a majority of right thinking, maybe misguided, but, you know, patriotic Republicans would say, all right, enough is enough. And for about 24 hours, that's you know, less than 24 hours. For a few hours, that was the case. And now they are in full embrace again, playing with fire, believing somehow if they coddle these people with violent tendencies, it's part of the building blocks of their, of their, of their political coalition that they're trying to build to win elections. And to hold on to the power hold that the power. they that they can't, if it's a real democracy and all the votes are counted, they won't hold that power because now we've seen, but the people have spoken across the country, that more people vote for Democrats than Republicans. That's just a fact. And the, and the, the fact that we, we, meaning those of us sort of in the, from the center to the far left, believe, many of us believe, um, that we have a, we have a system, a political system that's self-correcting, and that it, and that we are somehow exempt from the violent tendencies that occur when it comes to a struggle for power. That somehow the United States is exempt from that. We've it's it's been proven not to be true. We, for the first time in our two hundred and forty some year history can no longer say that we are the example of the peaceful transfer of power because we didn't have the peaceful transfer of power. We did have a transfer of power from, from uh, Trump to Biden. But we can no longer say that we, we have this amazing principle, this incredible history of respecting the will of the people and allowing for the peaceful transfer of power to occur in full view. What occurred in full view this time was a violent attempt to, to, to stop that transfer of authority. And if Kevin McCarthy and the Republican majority, the majority of Republicans anyway, would have had their way, it never would have occurred. And, That's right. And so what that means is that they will become more sophisticated 
They will become more adept at achieving their mission. They'll use the threat of political violence, but they'll also use other tools. And we're seeing that happen right now. The threat of political violence by itself can be put down by a strong army. But the threat of political violence combined with shrewd use of fear, of racism, which is what they're doing right now, to manipulate state policy, state law, sets them up. They're getting better at what they're doing. Sets them up to take power where it's not, it's not a legitimate acquisition of authority because there are more of us than there are of them. But they know that. We know that. And they're doing everything they can to prevent the will, of the, the collective will of the American people to be manifest in our government. They're doing everything they can to prevent it. So when you're referring to some of the things they're doing well, one of the big things they've done so far is in how many state legislatures have they passed new voting laws to do whatever they can to help restrict, uh, suppress, uh, uh, distract um, uh, people who are amongst the poorest of the poor in our society, people of color, um, young people. Yeah. Uh, the, you know the, the the groups that do not vote for Republicans generally, and so the the way that they've figured out the way that we're going to hold power is to stop these groups from having their say at the ballot box in any uh, way possible that we can get away with it. Yeah. I mean, it's frightening how far they've gotten in just these uh, uh, twelve months. Yeah, they're succeed- that, and that's the part of the the frustration that I think a lot of us feel is that while on one hand, we're doing everything we can to expose the truth of January 6th, which is important, and we have to do. We're we obligated to do that. But at the same time, simultaneously, more subtly, they are implementing their strategy of reinstating Jim Crow all across the country, finding ways to create hurdles and hoops for people to jump through in order to exercise their right to self-determination through the ballot box seems far less violent than an attack on the Capitol. But the effect of it is just as, just as profound. And, you know, (laughs) we were talking earlier privately about Harry Chapin. I remember Harry, who was a friend of yours, used to say all the time uh, that our political system is a participatory democracy. And if you're not participating, it's not a democracy. And and a paraphrase of what he used to say, but that's kind of where we are right now. People people really need to get activated. They need to understand what's happening. When when I'm being interviewed, especially uh, in another country, and they'll describe me as an American activist, and I will stop them and I'll say, that's really, um, it, you're being redundant yeah. by calling me an American activist because we're a democracy and we cannot exist as a democracy unless all the people are active. Yeah. If we're not activists, if we're not active in our democracy, if we sit on the bench, if we don't participate, then it's over. Yeah. You can't call it a democracy anymore. Yeah. 
And but but Dan, I just I want do you feel can you say can you say what you know you shouldn't say? Like I don't want to say it because I want people to leave this uh, discussion with hope and and uh, uh, not going to bed in fear. But but how do we how do we speak the truth? Even though knowing we don't want people to feel hopeless, but in fact that we have something knocking at the door. And there and there are and there are millions of them, and they are knocking at the door, and they want a takeover. They tried to pull this off a year ago, kind of ham-fisted. I mean, Trump's the leader of it, so you know, and his his lieutenants are Rudy Giuliani and and uh, uh, Don and Eric and all that. So you know, that it's it's probably not going to work that way, but nonetheless, the 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 mask got pulled off the face of of the opposition here and and they are willing to use violence they are willing to kill if necessary yeah um aren't aren't we facing something here that we don't want to even think about that that this uh sort of a 21st century style civil war uh the first guns have been fired uh a year ago and and they have spent this year um, not retreating, but uh, as you say, just about everyone running who's a Republican, either in Congress or in their state legislatures, either as an incumbent or the new people coming up, they want to identify with Trump and QAnon and the whole deal. And if that's the case, they're saying, as a couple of members of Congress said this week, Maybe what we need is a divorce in this country, one woman, a uh, member of Congress said. Uh, we need to cut away. We need to secede. We need to this is this seems like it's coming, Dan. And and are we doing a disservice to uh, people on the other side of the fence, to Democrats and liberals and uh, progressives and people that care about what's going on by not just calling this what it is? Yeah, I think and I think the, the 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 struggle and the big concern that I have is that the threat of violence is no longer theoretical, right? Right. We know that. I mean, we've always talked about it as in, in the abstract, and even when many of us have been threatened, you know, I, I get threats all the time. They've increased dramatically since January sixth, but we've we've had them over time. They're no longer an abstraction. It's no longer theory. It's, it's, it's a fact. I experienced it. I lived through it. My life was saved by some of those Capitol Police officers. You know, and it's a comp- that's a complicated situation because, because of the history of policing in this country. But they saved my life, and I'll never, never, ever forget that. But, but I think the other, the other um, aspect of this is that the threat of violence threat of violence is as effective as the violent act itself in some ways. And I worry that a lot of people are no longer participating. People are choosing not to participate because they see the possibility of being 
at risk and they say, no, you know what, I'm checking out of this. I'm just not going to be, become a part of it. But the, the other worry that I have is this, and this is, this is why the work that Congress is doing right now is so important to daylight this, to tell the story of what happened on January 6th right. in really stark terms, because there is an effort to create this sort of equivalency of extreme voices. And there's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complete fallacy. It's ridiculous. But this is their method right now. Watch for it. This is what we're going to hear in the 2022 election, is some, some effort to create equivalency that, yeah, there are extreme voices on both sides, and to try to minimize any concern that people have about a Republican takeover because a Republican takeover is what they're really aiming for, and they'll use every tool they can to achieve it. But it starts first with them trying to whitewash January 6th. Because mm-hmm. if they're seen as being responsible for it, which clearly they are, but if they're seen as being responsible for it, I think most Americans will take the position that we cannot let this, we can't let this go on. But if they win the argument that what happened on January 6th was just the Republican version and there's a Democratic version that occurs as well, and it's sort of this false equivalency, I really worry that they'll achieve their goal, not through violence, but through sort of reframing the violence that has occurred, telling, basically convincing people that their voice and their vote is not, is not consequential using the tools they have to try to minimize those people who actually try to get through the hoops that are, that are put before them. And they want to win a majority, illegitimately, but win a majority. And, Mike, they're going to do it if we can't figure out a way to shock people to the reality that they better get involved and they better not let this false narrative somehow stick. It's it's It's... I'm, I'm really worried about it. But that's how history, I mean, <laughs> this is exactly what happens. And then, then it's too late and yeah. people go, why, why didn't I stand up and say something before? Why didn't I do something? Why didn't I? Because it, it just seemed unbelievable that, that this could happen. I never, the- I never in a million years, I remember talking to you on that day. Right. I, not in a million years would I have imagined the possibility of of the of a violent attack by Americans on the United States Capitol. But this is only exa- an example of what they're willing to do. They're also willing to use other methods to try to undermine our de- our democratic system. Methods that are that does they do they do violence to our constitution. They do violence to the things we believe in. But it doesn't take on the same sort of character as the violent attack on all of us. So I agree that the potential of political violence is real, but we can't let that realization obfuscate the fact that they're doing violence every single day in state legislatures to the legacy of John Lewis and Fannie Lou Hamer and Martin Luther King. 
They're doing damage. They're doing violence to that every single day. So what do we do to stand up to this? What do we do to stop it? Um, because we, the people I'm talking about, we, the majority of this country uh, that elected this president, uh, that uh, throughout every state, uh, when you put it all together, um, there are more people that, as I said, vote for Democrats. But what do we do, Dan, other, short of going to the gun range, short of going to Walmart and, and buying a couple rifles and going to the gun range to learn how to shoot them, uh, I don't think that's where people want to no. be. No. And I think, and I think, you know, we are, we are, we, the the greater we, of of uh, liberal, uh, left, um, you know, progressive America are peaceful people, and <laughs> have no desire uh, to have this turn to this kind of violence. But enough people, Dan, you know, are really are very concerned about this. So, so what what advice do you have? What guidance here do you have for us? Because this is coming down the pike, yeah, and it's coming down very fast, nope. and yeah. uh, and it'll it'll be over before we know it, and we're going to go. What happened to our country? Right. Well, there are two things we can do. One is more difficult than the other, and one is to somehow persuade the United States Senate to take up H.R. 1, H.R. 4, and take, take a big the voting rights the bill. Voting rights legislation. Take a big step toward securing the, the, the precious right to vote, number one. But also what, what we would do with H.R. 1 is attack the over, the, the, you know, the, the insane impact that wealth and money have on our political system. That's that's going to mean getting Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema to get off this notion that the filibuster is some institutional tool that needs to be protected. It's the remnant of Jim Crow. I don't think we're going to succeed in that. So it leaves us the other thing. And that is to overwhelm this distorted political system with participation. To overwhelm even a distorted, unfair system that they're continuing to try to distort. Overwhelm that with numbers that are so incredible, that are so powerful, that not even the Republican agenda of distorting the body politic, distorting the interest of the American people can, can succeed. And that's the only thing I think we have left, Mike. I don't, I don't unless somehow somebody can to- show me how we're going to get the U.S. Senate to take up these tools that guarantee yeah. the right yeah. to vote, the only way to succeed is to overwhelm the system with more people than they can cheat. And what does that look like? How does this participation, in what form does it take? And what can people who are listening to us right now do as soon as they're done listening to us? What can, what, you know, realizing participation is perhaps our only shield yeah. against the downfall of our democracy. What does that participation look like? How do we do it? How do people listening to this do it? I mean, there are 
good, prog- well-organized, progressive organizations all over the country that are working to organize people to mobilize. And of course, people can do it on their own, but there are also existing organizations. There are environmental organizations. There are civil rights organizations. There are progressive organizations in Michigan, in Ohio, in Pennsylvania, in Georgia. Connect those to those organizations. I'm sure these are people you're familiar with, Mike. Get people to believe that their voices and their energy actually can make a difference. Right. Yeah. I mean, look what happened in Georgia. I mean, nobody ever would have believed we had a shot at winning Correct. the Senate. Absolutely. Nobody right. ever would have believed. It was because we organized. I say we. People organized themselves. Yeah. And we did something that was unbelievable, but made all the difference in the world. Think about where we would be had we not won those two seats. You know, if John Ossoff and and uh, Senator Warnock hadn't won, I don't know where in the hell we'd be right now. I have no idea. We wouldn't have been able to do some of the things we've done, and we'd have no shot at any of this without them. That's an example. If we can do that in Georgia, we can sure do it in Ohio. We can sure do it in Michigan. We can sure do it in Pennsylvania. You know, we can do it anywhere if, if, if we can get ourselves to believe again that our voices, our energy, our effort actually can make a difference. And too many people, for good reason, have been beaten down to the belief that their voice doesn't matter. I think people need to understand that that's not happening accidentally. That is the plan. That's the Republican plan. That's the plan. Tell you that your voice is meaningless. That you're- and if you, if you buy that then you've been had. Yeah. And then, I mean, we, we, we have to get, we have to find ourselves in the moment where we have a majority and then act on it. And this is where I think the Democratic Party needs to grow up. And, and like, think about it right now. Do we think the Republicans, if they had a 50-vote margin in the Senate with the vice president and a three- or six-vote margin in the House of Representatives, would be intimidated out of achieving their agenda. Hell no. We've seen it. Why? I mean, so what we've seen is that it's not enough to have 50 when two of them are not willing to be Democrats. So let's get two more. Let's win that district or win that Senate seat in Pennsylvania. Let's elect Tim Ryan in Ohio and let's get this stuff done. Let's pass the Voting Rights Act. Let's pass H.R. 1. Let's pass the Build Back Better agenda in its original form. You know, let's, let's we could we we could have done all of that, right? With with just those few seats, and so let's 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 focus on being practical and take action that will actually deliver for us. And the only way we do that, we've seen this over and over again, is we have to overcome the Republican effort with numbers that are too big to rig, too big to cheat. Well, as you know, I've been a believer in this for a long time, that it doesn't take much if people uh, get off the sofa yeah. and, and get active and get involved. I, I will say, um, you mentioned, of course, yes, there are some great groups. 
that people can get involved in around the country. I will post uh, links uh, to a few of those groups here on the on my podcast, uh, my platform page here, uh, so that uh, that people listening can go and find out where the nearest uh, Indivisible is or whatever in their area or any of the other uh, grassroots groups, all the stuff that Stacey Abrams got going in Georgia and has done that across the country. Um, there's, you're right, if, if, we will, if we will present ourselves, if we will participate in this, uh, um, I think this may be the only chance, and, and I just hope that people understand that when we're talking about participation, this is not just some cliche or just some uh, you know, cute word that we're using here of, of what to do. We are, our backs are against the wall. I'm sure I know a lot of you feel this. So, you know, it, it's, <laughs> I don't know, Dan, I'm, 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 I'm trying, I don't, like I've, I've said many times on this I, uh, podcast, I don't believe in hopium. I don't want to give people false hope, uh, phony hope, just happy, happy, happy. No, but we're all very aware of what's going on. At the other hand, I, I know there are people listening to this right now going, I can't take this anymore. Yeah. I can't take this anymore. And that's the worst thing that can happen if you, if you, and if I've participated in helping you sink to that level, then I'm, then, then we've really shot ourselves in the foot here. All we need need to do is just have people look at Georgia and just realize it can happen. And, 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 and we don't really have an alternative. I mean, there's not, there's no trick, there's no shortcut, there's no, magic dust that we can you can we can sprinkle it's just going to take people harry chapin was right you gotta participate you're gonna you're gonna participate one way or another you're either going to participate in taking our country right in the direction that it needs to go or you're going to participate in its downfall as a victim of it and right. we can't you know we can't exempt ourselves from the 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 effect of all of this we we might as well get roll up our sleeves and get to work Democracy is not a spectator sport. No. That was the, that's what that he said. Was, yeah. Yes, that this is a participatory event, and in this case, everybody has to be off the bench yeah. and on the floor. Everybody in the pool. That's what he said. Everybody in the pool. We're going to lose our democracy. It's it's. I just um, I want to say something here to you. Before, you brought something up here before we before we close. Um, that uh, a year ago here, January 6th, last year, <clears throat> we were on the phone. Yeah. Um, there, while you were trapped uh, in the gallery there, the house uh, chambers, and uh, um, and they were trying to get through that door, and we were talking, and we, we had a number of phone calls and back and forth during these hours, and at, at one point, you called me, and because I was watching this on TV, and you guys didn't have a TV set in there, and you said, "Is the National Guard out outside the the Capitol building here? Are they, have they have they arrived?" Right. And I said to you, Dan, there's no National Guard here. Yeah. You there's no one outside the Capitol other than the people trying to break in, and you could not believe it. This had already been going on for a couple of hours. Right. Right. And it would be another hour or so before they before the first uh, troops got there, and I just I just started personally I started shaking, 
and and we were talking, and I could hear the banging. They were trying to get into the right under the floor of the house, banging through those doors, and and all of a sudden, over the phone, I'm listening to this live because I'm talking to you. A a gunshot goes off. Uh, and that's and that was the uh, police officer right. trying to protect all of you because somebody was crawling through the window of the door. Right. And I listened to that live, and um, you are. I can now hear. I don't know who was it. <clears throat> One of the people there said, um, "We need to get our gas masks on." Yeah. And and then somebody said, "Everybody, take your congressional pin off," because yeah. all members of Congress wear that pin. Right. That signifies to any police officer or anybody, "Oh, that's a member of Congress." Right. And and you, all of you, had to take your pins off. Because if they saw you with that pin, it could cost you your life. Right. And the fact that any group of thugs armed could could make the people we've elected to Congress take their pin off. The thing that says, we are the people's representative. I must hide that now. I was listening to this whole thing going on, and, and you and, and, and a couple of others, uh, I think uh, Congressman Crow, you were putting your bodies over other people up there, other members right. uh, and staff to protect them because you were seconds away from them getting through the upper doors where you guys were uh, and coming and coming through there. And and you and I have talked a lot this year about the you know the, that group of you uh, you guys, you know, you've been able to form your own group. You, yeah. you, you have all spoken to a therapist and, and the PTSD that you all share. Uh, but I've never said this to you. The PTSD I've had <laughs> for this last year, and not, on the, not because it was on the news, not because of some global reason, but because you, my good friend, since we were teenagers yeah. in Flint, Michigan, that it felt like you were seconds, minutes away from your death. Yeah. And I could do nothing about it. And you were asking me, me, I'm just at home with a, a cell phone. Do I see any National Guard on their way to the Capitol? You're, you're a member of Congress. Yeah. And you're having to try and get this information from me. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I was trying not to lose it. And I didn't want, I wanted you to, you know, stay strong, and you were. You were maybe in some ways more more calm about this than than I was, and and then only later when you realized just how close you were, possibly to your own death. And but I have dealt. I've had to think about this this whole year, and I wanted to talk to you here on this on this day and this in this moment of this anniversary to to say to you first of all, I'm glad you're alive. Your loss to me would be profound and um and to the people of flint and the whole flint area that part of michigan that you represent uh this we've we've suffered enough there in that part of michigan and to and to have our member that we elected to to have this happen to you dan i mean i just um it really it rattled me in in a in a in a big way and it it certainly didn't help that I listened to it live yeah. over your phone while you were there live and you can hear the bang, 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 trying to get in. Yeah. It, 
and the gun goes off. It, uh, I think back on that a lot. And I do remember our conversation because I remember being confused about why the National Guard wasn't there. You know, and for the first time, I remember being fearful that, you know, my life was at stake. I mean, I was at risk. And realizing where I was, I thought this didn't make this didn't make any sense to me. Still doesn't make sense to me, you know. Yeah. Be honest with you, but it's painful. You know, it's 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 just painful to think about how close we actually came. And the the thing that you know, there were a couple of moments that I had after the attack. I actually went back and looked at your. Um, you made, you made some, uh, some comments on Facebook. I think it was mm-hmm. while we were, while you were watching it. I remember just seeing the terror on your face and realizing, shit, I was really in trouble, you know, cause when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to completely understand what's going on, but especially, especially in the day or two afterward, watching how violent these people were realizing if they'd have gotten through, we'd been dead. We'd been dead. And that's- so you real you realize now that the job you hold, this job of serving people of the Flint and Mid Michigan area there, you realize that you have to do so now. It actually, it you have to you are your life is on the line. Yeah. I mean yep. that it, is it. I haven't asked you this because it's just a, such an um, awful thing to think about. But, but you know, are you willing? Would you be willing to do that for this country, for for the people that that you serve? If it came to that, because I personally think every day you walk in there, you have no idea what's going to happen. No idea at all. You know, I have these conversations with my with my wife, with my kids, with my mom. My mom's eighty seven, right, and. What I worry about, it's not so much me because I'm here already, you know, I'm in it. But part of what they're trying to achieve is to prevent people like us from being willing to do this stuff, to do this work. They're trying to scare us away from it. And, you know, so far they haven't done that to me. This, this, I don't know, I don't know why, but... It's too important. You know, this just just too important. But there could come a time where they succeed through violence, through the threat of violence. And I think it's happening right now. There are people who are deciding not to enter into the public sphere, to, the, to do the work that, that we're talking about here in any role because they don't want to be subjected to this poison. And that's, that's terrible. That's frightening. Yeah. What do your kids say? Do your kids want you to quit? I think they'd be happy if I did. I mean, they know me well enough not to ask that of me. Yeah. But like my oldest son, Ryan, who you remember when he was a little boy, 
you know, he's 42 years old, and he had to explain to my granddaughter, his daughter, that I survived. That was a lot for me to take and a lot for him to take. He had to explain to her that I was okay, that I lived, you know, basically. (laughs) I mean... This is the United States of America. We're, we're, this isn't supposed to happen here, right? That's not right. not supposed to happen here. No. And right. it can. We are not exempt from these tendencies. And that's where, that's where, that's where I, I, I can't tolerate, I can't look at these Republican members of Congress, not the ones who are the complete nutcases, I'm not talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene or Paul Gosar. They're they're insane. Right. What I'm talking about are the people who are quiet and who are willing to let me and my family live in fear because it helps them in the November election. They believe if they coddle this insane 20 or 30% of the people who believe all this fantasy and don't tell them the truth that it's part of the building block they need to get to 50% plus one. And the price that they're willing to pay is a price that I pay and that you pay and that my family pays and that people who depend on us to speak for them pay. It's just the most cynical use of political power that I've seen in this country. But it's, it's what we see in other places. It's what we, I mean, I've, I've been involved in democracy movements in other parts of the world. I'm involved in this democracy movement in Sudan. And I no longer have the moral authority to speak to my friends in Sudan about the principles of democracy because I can't, say that they're being they're, they're, they're being adhered to in my own country. Right. <clears throat> Sad. There's only yeah. one way, Michael, there always all, there's all, there's only ever been one way to fix this. And it's with overwhelming, the overwhelming power of, of people over money, over politics, the overwhelming power of people who won't be taken for granted, and who appoint themselves into a position of their own leadership and act on that and get their feet moving. That's the only way we've ever done it. Yes, yes, and yes. That's exactly right. And, um, and, if I can speak for the um, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands who might be listening to us uh, right now, um, Dan, um, you have to do what you have to do for your life and your family and all of that. But um, we won't quit if you won't quit. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not quitting. <laughs> because you're not going to be standing there alone. Yeah. We have your back. Not just yours, but everybody else who's fighting and struggling to do the right thing to get these things done that we need done in this country. 
And uh, we are simply are not going to just lay down and take it. That's not going to happen. Yeah. And, um, but I know that we live in this now uh, very violent time. And um, we have many examples in history of very brave people who chose nonviolence as a way to um, to succeed, that it, that it has more power, actually, than violence. Violence is the method that the coward uses. Yeah. When the coward knows that the majority of the people are no longer with him, and so he's got to go off half-cocked and half-crazy. But that's... But the truth is, is that the, the, that is not the majority of this country. They don't believe in that. As I said here last month, when they had this, when we had this awful school shooting there, just outside your district in Oxford, Michigan, seventy-eight um, percent of Americans do not own a gun. We are not a nation of gun nuts. Right. We are, we we look like it um, because we we can't get basic legislation passed and we can't even get ourselves to start to think our way out of a, a box of, you know, a country that we love, but was born in genocide and built on the backs of slaves. But nonetheless, the majority of us, 78% of the country does not want a gun in the house. Right. And I'm not, and, and hunters, and you're listening, have your guns. Yeah. Nobody wants your guns. Nobody's taking your guns from you. Um, but, it just, I just, um, I guess, you know, look, you've made the point, participation, an overwhelming participation, a smothering that's the, of citizen action. It's the only thing that'll work at this point in time. It's the only thing that's ever worked. I shouldn't say at this point. It's the only thing that's ever worked, you know. I still, I'll, I'll never forget, like the night that we defeated Trump, my daughter... Yeah. Turned on some music and was dancing. You just said the phrase to Twisted Sister singing, we're not going to take it anymore. <laughs> and it's like, I, I have this joy that every time I, that, that video pops up on my phone and I see my then 28-year-old daughter dancing with joy. Yeah. We defeated this guy. We got to get that joy back. Yeah, that should be our theme song, too. <laughs> We're not going to take it. We're not going to take it anymore. Oh. Hey, listen, um, we got to go. Uh, Michigan, uh, we passed a, a constitutional amendment uh, some almost four years ago now uh, to stop gerrymandering, yeah. make it illegal, um, and, to, um, and to try to... Uh, do it the right way and not let a certain party, um, you know, try to legally steal elections. Um, so how I noticed this week, and I didn't see what your district. How did it turn out when they drew the map? It was a it was a uh, nonpartisan yeah. commission. Yeah. Uh, that drew the map. Uh, and how how are you in your district? You know, it's going to be a tougher race. Uh, my district got. Two points worse, which for me was about the best case scenario because I had to gain 100,000 people because we lost the seat. 
But that means my district. In Michigan, yeah. Being, Michigan lost the right. seat. Yeah. So that means my district goes from being barely Democratic to being maybe slightly like 1% Republican. Mm. But these are people, this is only in the Trump era that it has, that, that it would perform that way. We've got to get back to, you know, people who live in cities in rural America who have a lot in common, who have an economic system that is tilted against them to understand that they have so much more in common, that the child tax credit, that access to universal health care, it helps people who live in big cities, small towns, and on rural farms the same way. And if I can somehow persuade people of that, Mm. then you know what, we're going to have a government that looks like a reflection of the American people. If some of those people in rural America can be persuaded of the Republican agenda, that the problem isn't wealthy people hoarding wealth, but other poor people, we're not going to win. The, right. the, the, the problem for poor people are not other poor people. Right. But the Republican message is that the problem for people who are struggling are other people who are struggling. The problem is that we have this, the greatest concentration of wealth in the United States of America than we've had since the Gilded Age at the beginning of the 20th century. And that's because the rules of the economic game are set for those people to win no matter what happens. And we tried to do something. It wasn't, it wasn't you know, as transformative as I would have liked. But the agenda that we put forward that Joe Biden, of all people, actually has been advancing is an agenda to try to chip away at that, dis, that, that disequilibrium, that, that, that unfairness in our economic system. And if, if we can't somehow succeed in persuading people who are struggling that their problem is not the other people who are also struggling, then you know, we won't succeed. If we can make that clear and also point to the fact that we can fix this problem, then we have a shot. Is Flint still in your district? <laughs> oh, yeah. Flint is oh, good. Center, it's the heartbeat. Flint, Saginaw, Bay City, and now Midland. Oh, Midland. Yeah. Home of Dow Chemical. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, but that's good, though, I think. I think you got you have chemical workers and, you know. It's, it's uh, the workers that I think about. Yeah. It's the- yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. And did, did, did any of your district end up in uh, Oakland County or, is it, or nope. up here or any of that? No. no, no, so, no. so just go up I-75. Those of you who aren't from Michigan, uh, it's the I-75 cor- yeah. corridor from Flint to Saginaw to Bay City. And then you hang a, hang a left on US 10 and you end up in Midland. That's right. How's that? That's it. That's my, that's, that's the new <laughs> All right. Well, you've got to stay in Congress, man. We can't, we can't lose you. All right. And um, I really appreciate you taking this time here. So we all know the job uh, that we have to do here. And um, thank you, Dan Kildee, Congressman from Flint, Michigan. Um, lifelong friend. Thank you. Um, thank you for putting your life on the line. Thank you for continuing to do so. Um, uh, I do actually have a lot of very positive hope uh, if people will will be participants in their democracy. And uh, and I think that's going to happen. Nobody wants uh, to bring back what we just lived through um, between uh, 2016 and 2020. So um, 
I'm going to give the final word to you, Dan. The final thing you'd like to say to, to people here on this on this anniversary, sad anniversary. I hate to even call it an anniversary. Well, first of all, thanks for, for doing this. And, you know, we survived January 6th. But, but January 6th isn't over yet. It's still January 6th. Because so long as these people believe they can use violence, the threat of violence, or other more subtle violent acts against our Constitution and the things we believe in, we're still at risk. And there's only one way to fix it. Overwhelming, overwhelming power of the people. That's right. Those are not just words, my friends. Uh, it's our call to action. Call to our nonviolent action. We don't need to use violence. We are the majority. This is our country. And um, But we do have to act. Thank you, Congressman Dan uh, Kildee thanks, Mike. from uh, Flint, Michigan. And uh, thank you to all of you who've um, been listening uh, to this. Now let's, uh, let's get it together and, and get out there and, and do something. Um, I'm Michael Moore. My thanks to everybody who's worked on this uh, today, our executive producer, Basil Hamden. Um, our uh, uh, editor and sound engineer, Nick Quaz, and our uh, jack-of-all-trades and proponent of the Julian calendar still to this day, uh, Donald Bornstein. So thank you. Thank you, Donald. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody who's listening. And um, we know what we have to do. Bless you all.